Uh, Karen and I visited Steve and uh, Cheryl Sarkozy last week. We saw the new house that they've built at Greenacre. Uh, they've pulled down their old house. It was more than 50 years old. It had been patched and repaired. Uh, it had a, and extended. It had a leaky roof. It had small pokey rooms. And in its place, they've built a brand new house. Big living areas, a dedicated music room for Steve. Any of you who know Steve will know he loves his music. It's got air, ducted air conditioning, and Cheryl loves the fact that the roof doesn't leak. Uh, now, as we were driving through Greenacre, we saw the same thing is happening all over Greenacre. Old fibro houses on their quarter-acre blocks, they're being pulled down, large, double-storey brick, brand new, are being built in their place. As Steve, lived, Steve and Cheryl lived in their old house, with all of its problems, that they had this choice to make. How bad is the old? Is the old worth saving? Couldn't they just patch it up and, and repair and replace? Uh, join the new in with the old so that there's a mixture of new and old and just put the new on top of the old, perhaps? Or do they just tear the whole thing down and start again and replace the old with something new? Renovate or rebuild? And it's the same question Jesus is faced with in these verses. Uh, he comes to the people of Israel. Uh, they're meant to be God's people. They're meant to be a light to the world and salt of the earth. But it just doesn't seem to be working. Is it going to be a renovation job? Or is it more about the new coming in and replacing completely what's old, uh, something new and fresh replacing the old. And as you look at what Jesus says in verse 21 and 22, it looks as if he's talking about replacing the old. Uh, the old is just too broken to, to patch up anymore. It needs a rebuild. Uh, we'll see the why in the passages on either side, but just for the moment, look at what he says. In verse 21, he says, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. Israel, or at least the practice of some of the people at that time, uh, that was the old garment, the old wineskin broken and brittle and useless. But then Jesus comes in with something new and different. And it's not just a simple case of the new joining with the old, because they're so different. And the old is so broken. When you try, there's going to be trouble. The two just don't fit together easily. He gives a couple of examples. You've got an old shirt, there's a hole in it, and so you grab a piece of new material. But the new material's never been washed. So it's going to shrink when you patch and uh, patch the shirt. And it's going to tear a hole that's even bigger. It's worse than what you started with. Uh, the same thing with new wine, putting it into old wineskins. The new wine ferments. The old wineskin's stiff and brittle. There's no flexibility. And the whole thing just explodes. The old is too tired and decayed, the new just won't join onto it anymore. 
It's like trying to install old software onto a brand new computer. I don't know whether you've ever tried to do that. At some point, the new computer just starts running too fast or the operating system is too, too modern and the old is just too old-fashioned and they're not compatible anymore. I recently updated Windows on my computer and my Bible software stopped working. Even after I'd reinstalled it, it it's about 15 years old, which I don't think is too old. It's certainly not too old for a person. But it's ancient for software, and it just wouldn't work with the new computer. The, the new and the old just don't mix. It's like that when Jesus comes along and clashes with the old, with the existing. He's on about the new, but they don't mix. You can see it, the same theme in each of the sections that uh, Melba read for us. Different issues, but the same underlying tension have a look at the section starting at verse 13. Old and new are clashing headlong. It's Jesus and the Pharisees. Jesus is walking along. He sees a tax collector, Levi, sitting in his office and Jesus looks at him and says, follow me. And verse 14, Levi does. A bit later, he throws a party. It's the first example of uh, hospitality evangelism. All his mates are there. And so are Jesus and the disciples. But verse 16, here's the tension. The Pharisees don't approve. All the extra laws, all their extra laws were meant to define who's acceptable and who's not. And for them, tax collectors and sinners are prime examples of those who don't make the grade. And yet here's Jesus eating with them. Doesn't seem like he's preaching like he's been doing to the crowds up till now. Seems like he's just enjoying food accepting the unacceptable. The old way of thinking means that makes Jesus unacceptable. But Jesus is doing something new. He hasn't come to be seen with people who think they're okay, who are self-righteous. They're just deceiving themselves. He's He's here for people who see themselves clearly. People who understand before God, they're helpless. People exactly like Levi. This is Dr. Jesus, come for sick people. That's what he says in verse 17. He hears them complaining about him and he says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Someone like Levi, the tax collector, doesn't measure up at all in the old Israel. But in the new Israel, he's just the sort of person Jesus is looking for. He's got the perfect credentials. Because for the new Israel, sinners only need apply. So how do you see yourself? Respectable, upstanding, self-righteous, doing just fine? Uh, Like the Pharisees, or someone who's not perfect? Someone who needs Jesus' help, like Levi? Are you willing to be a Levi, to see yourself what's and all, to, to recognise your faults and mistakes and weaknesses and dark thoughts. Because you do have them. I have them. You do too. Are you willing to be a Levite, to, to own those faults and mistakes and sin and then to run to Jesus for the cure? Or are you still stuck back with the Pharisees, refusing to recognise that anything's wrong? Proud, complacent, too busy comparing yourself to others, 
uh, that you haven't got time to take a close look at your heart? Do you welcome constructive criticism? Loving interventions from friends and family? Do you thank people for their comments? Or do you get defensive and hurt instead? I know the type of attitude Jesus prefers. But let's turn it around because I think this is really the point Jesus is making to the Pharisees. How do you evaluate others? Are we only interested in people who've got life together to the moral, upright, normal people? Is there a normal person? I'm not sure there is a normal person. Are we only interested in people who've got it all together? Or do we have a heart for the, for the sick people? Are we trying to build a, a church of people who are respectable or real? People who know what they're really like and are willing to own it and, and let people in. We may say we're interested in reaching everyone, but let's be honest, it'd be easier if there were some types of people who didn't come to church and occupy our time, wouldn't it? Difficult people, smelly people, time-consuming people, people with lots of problems, people who just wear you out. It'd be easier if church didn't have those people. I'm not saying uh, that people like that aren't hard work, but they're often the ones who, who know they need help, aren't they? The, the soft ground, the ground that's willing to hear about the answer. That's the right attitude. That's the attitude Jesus applauds. He's come for the sick, not the healthy. I tell people I ministered in Blacktown and they say, whoa, what was that like? And I say, look, it's pretty much like Ashfield. People are people. But one thing I... I we thought about Blacktown was that people were happy to let you in on, let you know what life was like. They'd, they'd say that life was terrible. Whereas I think there's something about middle class Australians where we like to present this front that everything's okay, we're coping, even if we're falling apart on the inside. For Jesus, that's the old way. He's not interested in the healthy, he's interested in the sick. He can't help people with that attitude. We need to look at church, at people the way Jesus does. Church is about mending sick people, not building a successful, well-trained, outwardly impressive institution. It's new versus old. The Pharisees who see people one way, the new way. Jesus who looks at people differently. We see the same uh, thread running through the next story as well, verse 18, new versus old. Uh, people decide Jesus is getting it wrong, this time about fasting. All the best people do it, apparently, except for Jesus and his disciples. And so the question gets asked of them, why not? What sort of good Jews are you if you don't fast? Well, Jesus answers. He says the new Israel, verse 19, it's more about feasting than fasting. And I wonder if he's not thinking back to Levi and the, the party he was having. Fasting is trying to, to impress God, to, to get his attention, to, a recognition that there's something lacking or missing. But Jesus says, who needs that anymore? We're not at that time anymore. It's not a time for feasting. The kingdom's near. The king's arrived. It's time to celebrate. It's time to feast, not fast. It's only one letter different, but it's all the difference in the world. Feasting, not fasting. Do you see verse 19? 
Jesus says, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? They can't, so long as they have him with them. Jesus wants a new attitude that recognises that he's there, that rejoices in what's already been received, not fasting to, to influence a reluctant, stingy God. Celebrating, not walking around with long faces and grumbling stomachs. New wine, being forced into old wineskins, and it's incompatible. More of the same, verse 23, uh, it's the Sabbath, the Jewish day of rest. Jesus and the disciples are walking through a field, grabbing some heads of grain and chewing them. It's a, it's a travelling snack. It keeps hunger at bay. But the problem is it's the Sabbath. According to, way, according to the way the Pharisees define it, that counts as work. And so the accusations start. Verse 24, why are you picking grain on the Sabbath? It's unlawful. God is not impressed. Jesus answers them in verse 27. It's an answer that turns the old way of seeing things on its head. It's an answer that's going to provoke a reaction. Verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. For the Pharisees, keeping the Sabbath had gone way past what God intended of it. Their rule book was full of things you couldn't do, trying to protect the Sabbath from people breaking it, walking a certain distance, cooking, uh, picking a head of grain was the equivalent of harvesting a full field. Feeding animals, lifting things. Uh, the old way had a rule for everything to protect the day from people. But Jesus says, Sabbath starts whenever it suits you. Sabbath is about uh, the enjoyment and rest of man. It's not the opposite. Sabbath was meant to protect people. It didn't need protecting by people. It's like that episode of Yes Minister uh, about the hospital that had no patients. Do you remember that one? Uh, the public servants are proud of this hospital. It's the most efficient. It's the tidiest. It's got the shortest operating uh, queues uh, for, for, for people lining up for operations because there are no patients. When it was suggested by the minister that perhaps they needed to get some patients, that was the whole point of being a hospital, the argument from the public servant was that, well, that would ruin the statistics. <laughs> the public service had missed the point that the hospitals are for the benefit of patients. They're not to be protected from patients. And that's Jesus' point here about the Sabbath. Its purpose is for the benefit of people. It doesn't need to be protected from people. It's the same point in the next story, moving into chapter 3, but it's the same sort of tension, but this time there's a living example. Jesus shows how the principle works itself out. Uh, it's Sabbath again, it's sometime later, it could have been a week, it could have been a month. Uh, but this time Jesus is, uh, it's Sabbath again and Jesus is in the synagogue and there's a man with a shriveled hand. Once again, though, trouble is brewing, people are watching and they're waiting for Jesus to make a wrong move so that they can get him. Verse 2, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. 
It wasn't just that Jesus was there on the Sabbath, it was Jesus was there with a sick person. Which I think they're thinking, okay, I've seen, I've seen this before, I'm, we're going to watch closely because whenever there's a sick person anywhere near Jesus, he gets healed. They're more concerned about Jesus than they are about their suffering brother. And all eyes are on Jesus. And Jesus is going to show them again how the new is different from the old. The old was worried about keeping the rules of the Sabbath. But Jesus is about helping people. He gets the man to stand up and then he asks everyone, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? Reminding his hearers about the real tragedy it's the man. And they're caught. They can hardly say it's the Sabbath is for evil or for killing, but if they say it's for doing good and saving lives, then Jesus wins. And he's making the same point as before. The Sabbath is for man. It's not the other way around. The Sabbath is meant for enjoyment and benefit and restoration. It's not meant to be protected with rules and regulations. And to prove it, he heals the man, even though it's against their rules as, as work. And did you notice verse 5? It's an attitude that just makes Jesus furious. How can people get that so wrong? He's angry and deeply distressed. God gave his people Sabbath as a wonderful gift. But these people are using it as a club to beat people over the head with. But if Jesus is mad at the leaders, then the feelings are returned with interest. The old guard means business. Verse 6 we read, Then the Pharisees go out, uh, went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. And as Mark tells the rest of his story, as the Gospel unfolds, we see how that rumbling opposition grows. Whenever Jesus does something great, something where he sticks his head up above uh, the, uh, the crowd, there's always this dark cloud of the Pharisees in the old way looking to kill Jesus and silence, silence the new voice. Old and new. The, the difference really comes down to the question of, I think, how do you please God? How do you please God? That's where the tension lies, I think. Do you please God by, by mixing with good people? Do you please, do you impress God by fasting? Do you impress God by keeping the Sabbath special, so special that you won't lift a finger to help anyone? Do you impress God by killing anyone who steps out of line, who suggests a new way of doing things? That's the old way. That's what the Pharisees think makes a good impression with God. But they've got it wrong. It's not how you please God at all. And what's so scary is that they were the religious people of the day. They were the ones who were devout and consistent and regular. The sorts of descriptions we might like people to say about us. They had all the external signs... They looked like they were pleasing God, but but they were wrong. It's what happens when people take their eyes off what what God says and replaces it with human opinion. You want to please God, don't you? We all want to please God. 
Ask yourself the question, what are you putting your confidence in? Is it in something you've done or something God's done? Levi the tax collector. He doesn't get much of a mention here, but he knew who to trust. It wasn't himself. He stood up and he left behind his collecting table and whatever was there and he followed Jesus. That's the simple, quiet example that we're meant to follow in this chapter, in the midst of the action and the strong personalities. Follow Jesus, like Levi. That's how you impress God. You don't impress God, according to Jesus, by simply mixing with good people. You don't impress God by going to lots of Bible studies or even by going to Bible college. You don't impress God by listening to lots of sermons, by belonging to the right organisations or being on the right committees. He's not impressed simply by fasting or keeping rules. Actions on their own mean nothing. You don't impress God simply by keeping the Sabbath special. Legislating what you can and can't do isn't what Jesus is on about. Sabbath is made for man. So what should our attitude be to to Sundays or to fasting? For some Christians, these things are very important and for others, not so much. Some Christians are very careful about what they do or don't do on Sundays. Other Christians don't see a problem. Some Christians find fasting is great for their spiritual lives. Others find it just makes them hungry. So what what should our attitude be to these things? It's important to remember exactly what Jesus is saying about the Sabbath and about fasting and what he's not saying. He's not saying they're wrong. He's not saying they're bad. It's the wrong attitude Jesus is attacking. It's the attitude of of trying to earn credit with God. It's the pride, it's the judgmentalism that goes along with these things. He doesn't say not to observe the Sabbath, he doesn't say not to fast, but his new way is that those things happen in the context of a relationship. They happen in response to the relationship. Levi followed Jesus first, then he threw a party out of gratitude. We may choose to do certain things because, because God loves us, because we want to honour him and be grateful to him, but we're not to do them to make God love us. It doesn't work. It's not the action itself that makes it right or wrong. It's the internal that flows to the outside. People reckon the difference between cooking a steak in the microwave and on the barbecue is this. The microwave starts on the inside and works its way out. A barbecue starts on the outside and works its way in. Now, I'm sure most of us will prefer a barbecue steak, but I think what Jesus is really saying is he wants to see a microwaved Christian. They're much better where the warmth starts on the inside and works its way out where God does his work on our heart and then that works itself out in our actions. A warm heart that fires up our hands and our feet. That's Jesus' new way. He wants a microwave Christian. The Pharisees, it seems, are more interested in the barbecued type. Start on the outside while the inside is cold and frozen. 
But Jesus says you, you can't do it that way. You, you've got to get the attitude right. You've got to warm up from the inside out. That's his new way. Getting that attitude right is a matter of life and death. It's an eternal matter. My grandmother used to say to me, I'm not a bad person. And it's true, by her definition, she wasn't a bad person at all. She, she didn't kill anyone, she didn't cheat on her taxes, she was nice to people, she was a great, good hostess, a great cook, she didn't swear or get drunk or steal. She died a number of years ago and the saddest thing was that from what we could tell, she died thinking God was going to be impressed by the good things she'd done. She'd spent her life building up a list of credentials, receipts and personal references and good works that she felt she'd be able to present. But it was a waste because none of it impressed God. She didn't realise that God's standard was far higher than hers of what was good enough. We need to recognise that before God we're not healthy, we're not righteous, we're not okay. We're not better than others, even if we feel that we're better than others. The new kingdom Jesus is on about is for people who recognise who they are, that they're sinful, that they're sick, that they need a doctor. Jesus is not interested in... He's interested in uh, the change of heart before the change of action. Maybe that's a new way of thinking for you. Maybe you need to uh, think that through and accept it. The irony is the ones who thought they were pleasing God, they had no time at all for Jesus. And you need to make sure that's not you. The ones who were passionate about making the right impression, in the end, missed out. Make sure that's not you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that Jesus has come, that he's poured new wineskin, new wine into wineskins, wine of uh, the joy of forgiveness and a new heart and a restored relationship with you that that flows and grows and uh, bubbles out into all of life, uh, a life of joy and reconciliation and forgiveness and acceptance and humility. And we pray that you would help us to know and to live these things more and more and that your people here would reflect these truths and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.